Support for the Source podcast comes from UT Health San Antonio, South Texas' largest academic research institution, where what is discovered in its labs translates into life-changing patient care. More at groundbreakingresearch.org. Live from the John L. Santico studio, this is The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm Kayla Padilla, in for David Martin Davies. Just yesterday, TPR had another worth repeating event. This is where seven storytellers have seven minutes to tell a real life story and each event has a theme. We've heard some wild stories this season and here to tell us more about the live event and podcast is host and producer of the show, Tori Poole. She's also TPR's directors of events. Tori, I'm so glad to have you here today to talk about this. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Thanks for liking stories. <laughs> and also joining us this hour are four storytellers from this season of Worth Repeating. So in studio with us right now is David Rubin, who told an incredible story of surviving a kidnapping in 1973. He told this on Worth Repeating's bail episode. And David, thank you for joining us. I'm very glad that you're still here. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, we also have Canela Kern, who told a story about a haunted photograph she took when ghost hunting with her family. And this was on Worth Repeating Specter episode. And Canela, I'm so glad to have you here also. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank Happy you so Valentine's much. Day. Oh, <laughs> On the second half of the show, we'll hear more from two other storytellers and their wild stories. But first, Tori, could you tell us about the live musical component of Worth Repeating and its purpose? Yeah, so every episode, we we have a different musical component. Um, we've had violinists, we've had uh, pianists. Obviously, we have a beautiful piano uh, access to that, so we've done that a couple times. We actually had a, a barbershop quartet uh, come in for one of them. That was super that was fun. Cool. Um, so, uh, I guess that was the musical one then we've had a steel guitar. My buddy Noah found that steel guitar and everything sounded really SpongeBobby. Uh, the musical <laughs> component, uh, purpose though, is just to cue the storytellers, sort of get them back to reality. When you are telling a story, you can get very involved in it and you lose sense of time. And that, uh, gives them a good cue to let them know, Hey, it's been seven minutes. It's time to wrap it up. Well, I thought because we're talking about worth repeating that the source should also have a live musical component for today's episode. <laughs> so I want to introduce our listeners to Noah Slavin. He is TPR's marketing coordinator. He's a musician and he's producer of TPR's Live from the Freight Elevator. And Noah, welcome to The Source, kind of. I am so honored to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of our traditional break music, Noah here will lead us into in and out of the breaks uh, by playing his guitar live. So that's pretty cool. So thank you, Noah. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to do some <laughs> spacey soul stuff for you. <laughs> Perfect. Heck yeah. Um, but now let's get to the let's get to why we're here. Let's get to the stories that we found to be worth repeating this season. And David, I want to play a clip of your story that you told back in September. So it has been condensed by me. It's not the full seven minutes. It's two minutes, two and something minutes. Um, and so you're telling this story about how you and your cousin Mike used to play pinball at the San Antonio airport because you were able to get three games of pinball for a quarter instead of two. And so this story begins when you're at the airport and... You know, That's you cheap. finish your game. It was cheap. That yeah. is cheap. And 
you're about to trying to leave the airport and then things turn pretty terrible. Let's give the clip a listen. And there's these three people that are kind of arguing with the cab driver and they're really, really kind of nasty looking. And the scruffy guy comes over and he says, hey, kids, we're not going to take a cab. We'll give you $20 if you take us to the bus station. Now, we're 17 years old, which means we're real idiots. So <laughs> we're like, yeah, sure, pile in. So they get in the car, and the mean guy's name is Pat. Tall guy's name is Howard. Pat's girlfriend's name is Wally. And all of a sudden, he tells me, take a left here, pull over. And I went, okay. And he looks at me, and he said, this car's going to Mexico. What? And he took that umbrella, wiped me right across the face, broke my nose, knocked my glasses off. And we get out of the car and he comes over, but instead he's crying and he's like, I, I can't believe I hit you. I'm so sorry. I'm really not like that. I'm a nice guy. We killed somebody in Houston. I'm like, whoa, wait. <laughs> I didn't need to know this. I didn't hear that. He said, look, if you can take us to a hotel, we'll just, we'll be out of your hair. And so we go and Pat grabs me by my hair, drags us into room number three, throws us into the closet and he's breaking things. And he's like, I got to kill him. I got to kill him. And Howard's over there going, yeah, you got to kill him. And Mike and I going, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so we pile back in the car, head down to the border cross the border and then he starts drinking tequila and he's starting to get all nasty again so we go back across and he says my feet hurt we need to get some socks we pull into a golf mart if anybody remembers those stores and the store detective comes up or security and says you can't sit here and so he calls the police and the police come and they arrest him for drunken disorderly so Mike and I are like, the bad guy's gone. And Wally says, you know, it's really late. Why don't you guys just spend that the night good. here and then you can leave in the morning. So we fall asleep and Mike wakes up. He went ahead, took the car to the gas station to ask where the Brownsville police station was. And when he got there, he's told him what happened. And in the meantime, Howard wakes up and he sees the car gone. The next thing I know, the lights are flooding in and the police are like, come out with your hands up. He bolts out the back door. I come out the front door with my hands up, like I'm the guilty one, and kill me with the lights. And so they found him out back and they took us all down to the police station and arrested Howard, but not Wally. And Wally comes up and she says, boys, I apologize for everything that happened. I know we promised you $20, so here's $20. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to remind our listeners that what we heard is a condensed version of David's Fuller story and you can find his story by looking up the Worth Repeating podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and it is the bail episode and so David this story the content of this story is incredibly serious and the way you told it was very nonchalantly <laughs> and you made us all laugh when we were there but we were like hey this guy's getting kidnapped uh have you always told the story that nonchalantly, or does that come with time passing? This was about 50 years ago, 1973. Why'd you tell it in that way? Well, first of all, you did a great job of condensing 36 hours into <laughs> two and a half minutes. So that was really good. Uh, okay, so I was the fifth person to go on, and the first four people that went on had everybody really in stitches. They were excellent stories, and I thought about it during the break, and I said, I'm going to have to lighten this up a little bit, because it was really a horrific Mm -hmm. ordeal but uh so i it's just kind of the way and the older you get the snarkier you get and uh so i tried to just you know self-deprecate and loosen up a little bit but the actual event was m most of the time pretty scary mm -hmm. 
And so my favorite part of this story is that these three murderous criminals made efforts to let you know that they were actually really nice people. Um, but, you know, we can talk more about that when we get back from this break that we're about to take. Um, and we'll also get to talk more with Ganela, who she has a really interesting story about a haunted photograph. And we'll talk more with Tori Pohl, who is a TPR director of events and the host of Worth Repeating. And um, and yeah, so we'll get to talk more and we'll hear more when we come back from this break. So if you have told a story on Worth Repeating or if you've been to a Worth Repeating event, you can call in at 833-877-8255. That's 833-TPR-TALK. You can also email us at thesource at tpr.org. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio and we'll be right back. Support for TPR comes from the Lawton family of restaurants, Cappy's, Cappuccinos, Mama's Cafe, La Fonda on Main, and Jingu House, located in San Antonio. Their diverse menus and hours can be viewed at LawtonRestaurants.com. Welcome back to The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm Kayla Padilla. We're talking about TPR's Worth Repeating podcast, which allows for seven storytellers to tell a story in seven minutes. Before the break, we were talking to storyteller David Rubin, who is featured on the bail episode about his kidnapping experience when he was 17 years old. You can listen to David's full story by searching Worth Repeating wherever you listen to podcasts. So David, getting back to your kidnapping story, and I talked to you about, I know you're more than a kidnapping story, but for now you're the kidnapping guy. So yeah. when you were a teen, the way that you ended that story was, was essentially that the kidnappers ultimately gave you the $20 that they promised in the beginning. And so in a way they were kind of true to their word. Um, well, the, well, she she did. She did, okay, yeah. well she, Wally, was true right. to her word. But the car that they made you drive to Mexico, it was your mom's. And what was your family's reaction when you were reunited with them and you told them this story? And how was your, what was the condition of your mom's car? Well, the condition, actually there was, you know, since it was my cousin, he, his parents were divorced and remarried and they all drove down in one car. And I don't know if I even said this, when we're sitting there on the curb and his dad is driving the car, bangs into the back of my mother's car. He jumps out and says, where are they? I'll kill him. And I looked at my cousin and I said, does he mean them or us? <laughs> <laughs> because he was, he was mad. Uh -huh. And so, uh, in fact, I think when I did the writing, I said I really would have liked to have been a cigarette in that ashtray when they were driving <laughs> down because they didn't always get along. But uh, when uh, I drove back with... Uh, his mom and her husband he drove back with his dad and his wife and uh when i got back my dad had been in new york city on a business trip and he had to fly back overnight because he just heard uh your son's been kidnapped mm, and, my God. and my brother was out on a date and had to 
get yanked and they hopped a plane and came back. So we were already back and my mother just, she just started crying and nobody really cared about the car. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good. And the car was fine. I'm glad. Yeah. Well, um, so Tori, could you talk more about what it was like taking this? Obviously, this is a very difficult story to condense into seven minutes. What was it like working with David to make this into seven minutes? How did you accomplish it? Because he told it really well. Yeah, I mean, it's a big story. Um, you know, he had David wrote something about it. You know, I think you were talking about getting published. And so when it came to me, it came in written form. And I was like, whoa, this is this is big. <laughs> this is a lot. And then we spoke on the phone. And again, I think I forget how long our time was on the phone, but it was like over 10 like minutes. minutes. Yeah, it was like 14 minutes. And then um, and I just thought like I thought that you know, although it was big and so much had happened that it would be, it could still do justice in seven minutes. I think you ended up doing maybe eight, um, but like it was, every bit of it was good. Mm -hmm. But pairing him with the right storyboard person, do you remember who your storyboard person was? Uh, I don't remember. No. But pairing them with someone who talks to them regularly, attending the writer's workshop, Mm -hmm. talking about the details that we really were interested in and expanding on that car trip and everything that really just helped uh bring it uh, a cohesive piece together with a lot of details david told it in a way where i always tell every storyteller like i want you to take me with you and mm. and he certainly did i felt like i was in that car and it was and it was funny and i think we, we needed that truck. relief yeah. yeah 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 he brought us in the truck for sure um <laughs> kidnapped us. yeah so when david when you were being forced to drive around you described your kidnapper as like the main one pat yeah as uh, dr jekyll and hyde and you said he would buy you breakfast and then he'd break your nose with an umbrella um and so when you were being forced to drive around did your life flash before your eyes or were you like too hyper fixated on escaping or did you think you were going to make it out of there well when you're 17 years old you don't have much of a life to flash in front <laughs> yeah. of your eyes you really haven't done much but yeah it does a little bit it's kind of really quick and you kind of you get a tingling all over and you get numb and maybe it's a self-defense mechanism and it's like you know is is this what i'm getting is this when i'm gonna die mm-hmm. and and then when he gets out and he uh you know, he's all nice and everything, you, you don't buy it, you know? Uh, and what I really didn't go over as much on my talk because I didn't have time was what they call the Stockholm syndrome. Mm-hmm. And ha- I lived it. And so did my cousin. And then, yeah, you, you kind of joked about it a little bit, but could yeah. you just talk about like how it actually impacted yeah, you? It, people don't understand it unless it's really happened to them. And you got it. Well, why didn't you take the car and drive away? Or why didn't you mm-hmm. escape here? Why didn't you at the border do mm-hmm. something? And until you're in those situations, it's hard to really know how you would react. And what you do is you really end up, and when we woke up the next day and we're in Brownsville or Mexico, we're scared, but we're sucking up to these guys. Yeah. And we're trying to make them our friends. And, you know, it's what can I do for you? And that's, I guess they played that out in prison guards or, you know, things like that. But it, it's a... Uh, it's just a survival technique. Mm-hmm. It, it's an instinctual like, survival technique. The fight, flight, or stay. That's literally mm-hmm. what it is. And yeah. you guys are just writing it out. 
Yeah. Did you go back to playing pinball at the San Antonio airport? <laughs> of course. <Okay. laughs> you, 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 you know, a quarter, believe it or not, back in 1973 was, I mean, not a fortune, but, you yeah. know, it was like, and when you could only get two games for a quarter, that there was no marching in the streets, there were no demonstrations, <laughs> uh, there was no social media, obviously, yeah. back then, but it was an issue. And when you could find three for a quarter, that was a big deal. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are some of the, was this, kind of the first time that you had shared this story publicly or did people in your lives we talked a little bit about how you kind of started talking about this um on social media and then you were connected with tori and you came you finally decided to tell this story and you had such a good big reaction yeah well close friends and family members obviously knew about this but what we were talking about before when i started writing stories on facebook it was really for my kids because when I go, they can read those and see, hey, dad went through some pretty cool stuff. If you tell them now, they roll their eyes and, <laughs> and look at their phones. So, uh, and when it was, I realized it was 50 years, I talked to Mike and I said, you know, I've been putting stories on Facebook. Do you mind if I do this one? You know, and he goes, no, nah, go ahead. So, mm-hmm. and did. Mike came, right? Pardon me? Mike came. He, he did. was in the crowd. He did. Oh, yeah, Mike was in the crowd. And you had mm-hmm. dinner with Mike. Yesterday. No, tonight we're going. Oh, tonight oh, nice. they're having yeah. dinner. Nice. Okay, perfect. <laughs> You told me before I knew. Okay. Okay. Um, Well, I also want to bring in our other guest in studio here today, Canela. And well, Dave, I'm so thank you for talking with me about this. And I can talk, we can talk a little bit more about it. I uh, want to hear this. (laughs) This is a good one. (laughs) Um, Well, Canela, your story seriously freaked me out. And I see, I, I was there for you guys. Like, I've been to every worth repeating this season. So I was there. And your story freaked me out. And I watch a lot of scary movies, I don't really get freaked out. But with you, I was like sat and I was just like taking it in. And your story is about this haunted photograph. And I could visualize the haunted photograph that you were talking about. Um, You're trying to get into photography. But before I ask any other questions, I want to listen to a piece of Canela's story about the time her and some family members went ghost hunting at a relative's house that had been abandoned. And Canela was trying out her new camera. So let's see what she finds. <laughs> We're all experiencing, seeing in the pictures, um, a half torso of a demon greeting us, almost like delighted that you're home. And it was complete chaos after that. We um, tried to open the door and it took all of us collectively to get the door open. And when we opened the door, we run to the truck. It was like a release. My aunt goes, we need to go to a busy place. And I'm like, where? And she's like, Walmart. (laughs) And so she was a little bit more briefed on ghost experiences. And so she's like, we need to lose the spirits. We need to lose whatever is here. And so as per her request, we literally look like we're peeing ourselves. We run into Walmart and we kind of like lose ourselves in the crowd. You know, me and my roommate end up in the makeup section. She sends a message 20 minutes later that it's time to go. And so, you know, we meet her in the front of Walmart and, um, you know, she's got a warm smile on her face and she's got boxes and boxes of ice cream like she was a conero. And we're eating and passing and no one is saying anything. And so um, we get to my aunt's house and she kind of looks at me and she's like, all right, you know, it goes without telling, you know, delete that. And I'm just like, sure, (laughs) right? Um, But what she doesn't know is that I actually lied to my roommate and I lied to her about keeping them for a little while. Um, They became like 
a weird ritual that I would come home and check them out and like see if there was anything I can explore or notice. And quickly it became really toxic. So I was like, uh, one night I come home and I delete anything pre and post the whole freaking SD card. Like I was like, I don't want nothing to do with it. And I throw it in my drawer. I worked a double. The next morning I noticed my drawer was open. And so I like find things and it was vintage solid wood. So I was like, there's no way that thing is just open. And so I go to examine and when I examine my drawer, there's a busted up remnants of what I can describe to you, my old camera. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know to this day what it was. Um, my aunt never put it up for the show Ghost Hunters. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. that's a well, lot, that's right? sad, the ghost hunters part yeah but... Aww, <laughs> so canela did you keep doing photography after that <laughs> <laughs> years years later i did get into it with my business but uh -huh. um yeah i put the camera down for a really long time i was like you know there's signs and so this was obviously a sign <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but um i feel like you know um yeah, I, I still don't have many words for that. It was yeah. just something that I experienced alone. But I think that's why storytelling is so important, you know, so we can leave stories to our children, as David said, and, you know, kind of um, leave true histories behind. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of trying to get to the truth, so the half-torso demon greeting you, what did it look like in the photo? Was it like translucent or was it solid? Or like what color was its body? Did it have a hairstyle? Like what <laughs> What did it look like? Okay, well the window behind you is a really, really good reminder of where he was at. So I'd say okay. that corner right there. <laughs> okay, so right behind me is yeah, what you're yeah, yeah. So, right. um, so the, the, the location, the house we were at, it, as soon, it was a tiny home, a historic home. So as soon as you walk in, you were greeted by the kitchen and it had a small kitchen window similar to this one. And so when we walked in, we just kept taking pictures mm -hmm. and you know, taking pictures, taking pictures, taking pictures, flash, 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 flash. And you know, you kind of, this Casper-like experience, like mm -hmm. I said, you know, it quickly turned demonic as soon as we started seeing the pictures. And so to kind of describe what it looked like, it was translucent -y, mm -hmm. but almost neon-like mm -hmm. with red. And then there was like horns and Ooh. it almost looked wow. like, honestly, real cliche, it almost looked like El Diablo from uh -huh. the bingo card, okay? <laughs> A little bit like that, I more uh, distraught features uh -huh. and grinning, this grin, it was a big grin. Okay. Yeah. And so also, I just want to say, like, when I was editing everyone's files <laughs> and I, you know, I had them ready for the week. They're good. I thought I'd just check them one more time this morning. Everyone's different stories and yours today, this morning. I don't want to scare anyone. We're safe here. But yeah. every, <laughs> it was distorted. Yours yeah. was distorted. And oh. it was like this really deep voice. I have it on my phone. Yeah. Well, Please yeah. Well, well, we won't share with the listeners. Yeah. We don't want to pass anything on no. through the air. But uh, but yeah, so that was, you'd never told a story before. And then what was that like telling a story for the first time uh, at Worth Repeating? It was such a pleasure, Tori. Thank you so much yeah. to you and your team and your supportive, you know, story uh, helpers that really, you know, helped me kind of dissect because it was a lot like when you are telling the story and you're 
you you have to write it down instead of just kind of retelling it through conversation or a drink mm -hmm. it's very different and then you kind of start remembering more things or less things and so um i think you know writing it down and, and it really helped me out to you did a great job do it in seven minutes yeah <laughs> yeah both of you really did a great job a wonderful job of taking us with you and whether it was you know, taking us in the trunk of that car or, <laughs> you know, taking us on that ghost hunting. Um, it was really, really powerful. And so David Rubin is a storyteller from the worth repeating episode, Bale, and Canela Kern is a storyteller from the episode, Spectre. David and Canela, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, we appreciate you so Thanks much. Thanks for having Thank us. You. When we come back from the break, we'll hear from two more worth repeating storytellers. And unfortunately, our line is only open to humans, no spiritual beings. <laughs> so if you're a human with a question, call in at 833-877-8255. This is a source on Texas Public Radio, and we'll be right back. I'm Tanya Mosley. And I'm Juana Summers. People collect all sorts of things. Sports memorabilia, stamps and antique lamps. If you've collected a few classic cars over the years and you also love public radio, consider this. Donate it to this station and it could mean hundreds of dollars in support. Donate online at tpr.careasy.org or call 877-486-1227. To the source on Texas Public Radio. I'm Kayla Padilla, in for David Martin Davies. We're talking with the host of TPR's Worth Repeating, Tori Poole, and some storytellers that have been featured in the live podcast. Every episode is different, and seven storytellers have seven minutes to tell a real-life story that fits within the theme that is proposed. So, there are two more opportunities to catch the next two live events on March 12th, where the theme is Saber, and April 9th, where the theme is Bash. And so, Tori, are you still accepting submissions for these, or are you now focused on trying to get storyboard members, or if people are inspired by today, can they still submit stories? Yeah, most definitely. Um, we are still looking for storytellers for Saver. Um, I'm hoping to find some restaurant stories, some people that are in the kitchen, have an appreciation for food, and want to tell us uh, a day or night in the kitchen. Um, and also things that last. I think there's a lot of things that we savor, and I'm just looking for those really good stories. Um, and then we have Bash coming up, which I think would be fun to just hear about how we break things down, whether physically or mentally and all that good stuff. But you can submit by visiting tpr.org backslash WR. I would love to hear from you. Um, and yeah, we're gonna, I'm gonna be taking submissions until Friday for Saver. Well, I'd like to introduce our two other guests that are here with us now. Aya Hamza is a storyteller from the Tot episode of Worth Repeating. And Mark Smith is a storyteller from the episode Elevated. And Aya and Mark, welcome to The Source. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. So Aya, in honor of Valentine's Day, I want to start with your story. And <laughs> what we're about to hear is a story by Aya about the time she went over to a guy's house late at night to learn how to do tattoos. But I don't think that was all that was on his mind. Let's <laughs> roll the tape. I walk in and I realize I'm stepping into a one bedroom home turned tattoo studio. So his bed is over here on the right side. Across on that wall, there's like a massage slash tattoo table situation. 
And then behind it is a massive mural of Jesus. And ironically, that did not make me feel any safer. <laughs> there was a metal surgical table, and on it were a bunch of sharp tools and a big slab of fake skin. <laughs> For those of you who are unfamiliar with fake skin, it usually looks like a four by four slab. It kind of this like rubbery, thick material. The top layer's thinner, flesh colored, supposed to be the skin. And then the bottom layer's thicker, red, and supposed to be what's under the skin, so essentially blood. And the first thing he teaches me is how to sanitize all the sharp tools and the needles. So we do that. And then he teaches me how to do some line work. So I'm sitting there, I'm doing the line work, and then suddenly I hear this sensual Latino music come on. And for those of you that are familiar, it's definitely Bad Bunny. And then I see the lights dim, and then my light bulb goes off, finally. I get up, and I grab my bag of bad first date excuses, and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, it's so late, I really gotta go, thank you so much for the tattoo lesson, can't wait for the next one. And uh, as I'm walking out, he grabs my arm, and he pulls me toward him, and he asks, can I kiss you? I said no. I gave him a few excuses because he was looking real sad bunny at that point. <laughs> and he let me go. So I left and my tattoo career abruptly ended at that time. I was forced to become a doctor. <laughs> so I, that's so unfortunate. You had to become just a doctor <laughs> because of this. But so the process for performing this on stage, um, we know it includes like a submission, a workshop, a rehearsal, and then finally it's time to share your story at the live event. And so what was it like rehearsing your story and telling it on stage? Did it come out differently than when you had rehearsed it? I do think that every time I practiced it, it was a little different. And mm -hmm. then I tried to incorporate feedback from the storyboard members um, and other storytellers after each time. So um, I feel like it became more detailed with um, every practice session. Mm -hmm. And um, it was definitely, I guess, nerve-wracking. So I have never performed a story before but in front of a live audience or anything. So after I got accepted, I was like, oh, I got the email from Tori about, you know, like, this is what we're going to do, whatever. And I immediately was like, oh, no, I'm out. <laughs> and then, uh, so I never emailed back. I was like, okay, well, if it's just silent, I guess I was trying to ghost you. Yeah, no one will ghost me. <laughs> yeah, and so I get a phone call from her and uh, she's like, hey, um, I never heard back from you. And so we started having a talk and I was like, hey, listen, I'm this is kind of intimidating and I'm mm -hmm. super panicked about it and the she you were really good at uh, Tori at creating an environment to where she was like this is super supportive the, yeah. the um this is essentially the most forgiving place that you can tell a story and we're here to help you and work on it and there's rehearsals and so she definitely persuaded me and pushed me <laughs> into it and I'm so glad because it was one of the most like most fun I've had um and then and during the rehearsals and the reads you get more and more comfortable telling your story and uh -huh. seeing how people respond positively so it was nice 
Yeah, it sounds, I think you told the story really well. And I had another question. Um, So with the sad bunny guy, like, (laughs) what were some of the excuses that you were coming up with? Or like, what turned you off? Was it like the fake slab of skin? Like, I'm just curious. Well, so I I mean, I was never attracted to him. And I was Uh not going over for any purpose other than genuinely learning how to tattoo. Exactly. I was super excited. (laughs) I I was like, Oh, my God. And I, I, like I said, in the story, I was like five ten years ahead i i was like oh my god this is gonna be my side situation i'm gonna have a tattoo studio I'll be like a tattooing physician uh, <laughs> two for one yeah so yeah. that was my only focus mm-hmm. um and i i, don't, I mean i just I, I wasn't into it and so mm-hmm. i um came up with uh, so many things i mean it's like oh you know i just came out of a situation and i'm, <laughs> I'm healing <laughs> Um, probably from like the trauma that this story is going to give people, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's just, you know, those excuses you kind of give where you're, you're not interested and if you might genuinely mean the excuses, but you know, when you're actually interested with in yeah. someone yeah. that those excuses don't come up. Yeah. yeah. So. And so did you, um, did you ever talk to that guy again after that? Um, he never talked to me again oh, okay. after that. And I think I hurt his feelings, um, because I, I don't, I think I texted him afterwards, like, a, because I was, I was just trying to, you know, I didn't want him to feel bad, and mm-hmm. uh, I never heard anything from him again, ever again, so I know, I was like, okay, yeah, he definitely wasn't interested in tattooing. <laughs> and so, uh, Tori, you've talked to me a little bit about how special Worth Repeating is for the storytellers, and that through this experience, they, the people, the seven storytellers form a special bond. And what do you think it is about this process that makes that bond form time and time again with these different groups? I think that uh, storytelling is a very vulnerable practice. Like anything with like an oral tradition where you're exposing yourself, whether it's like an uncomfortable situation or whether it's a transformative situation, you're allowing like all of your emotions out on the table. And something about talking in front of an audience they're also receiving those emotions and so whenever we're doing you know first there's a bond when i first hear it because i'm listening to them and i'm telling them what i think or what questions i have and when i say them i mean the storytellers and then when we get into the writer's workshop um, the storyboard members are also there too so it's like a bigger audience so it's like each time the stakes are sort of raised right and then in rehearsal it's a bigger audience and all those feelings are going back and forth. And I don't know if it's transference or whatever, but every time we have a new storyteller, it feels like we're just growing a bigger community amongst each other and feeling safer to be vulnerable and maybe give details that we didn't normally think, you know, before. Yeah, I mean, I think that's my favorite part of Worth Repeating or why I love Worth Repeating so much and why I keep going back is because it is everyday people like you i would have never known that about you aya if you had not told that story i would have never i would have never known about the fake skin and i would have never known these things i I would have never uh, known that these people existed in our community and it's just so one of those things where you know you go out into the world you're in a crowd and you wonder like what stories do these people have (laughs) like what secrets do they have and so it's just a really amazing thing i think and i've said before like even as a reporter my favorite part is just getting to talk to people who have these stories so that's why i think it's so important to this community 
And so, Aya, you, had you been attending Worth Repeating events for a while before I had been the story? to maybe, like, three or four sessions beforehand. Uh-huh. And so what was it, how, do, when you finally, like, I feel like, you know, you can imagine what it's going to be like, but when you finally walk out on stage and you see all these people around you, like, how did you stay composed and how did you tell your, continue to tell your story despite being nervous? Um, For me personally, so I... I've spoken publicly in, like, academic settings and mm-hmm. things like that. So, And I've never – I don't have a problem speaking to an audience. Um, I think what made me nervous this time is that it was for entertainment. So it's mm-hmm. not – I wasn't educating an audience. I was I'm telling them a story and hoping that they wanted to come along for the ride. And um, that was what was nerve-wracking a little bit. But um, I don't know. I, f- I see it as a conversation with the audience. And, like, mm-hmm. these are a bunch of my friends, mm-hmm. and I'm just having a chat with them and – telling them some stupid stories <laughs> and, uh, about questionable decisions I've been making in my life. But um, so for me personally, I I don't think it was like this huge hurdle to overcome. And then because of the rehearsals, obviously you get mm-hmm. more and more comfortable with standing there and knowing that there will be people. Mm-hmm. So. Well, what words, if you could sum it up really quickly, do you have for people who are scared to tell the story? I think that you should get out of your comfort zone anyway. I think that's a great way to grow and that this is a really great and safe space to do that. And it'll be a therapeutic process, a fun process. And I don't know, I think you'll look back and realize it'll be a lot easier to be vulnerable after this. So. Yeah, I think those are really encouraging words. Um, and we're going to take a break right here. And when we get back, we'll talk to storyteller Mark Smith about his experience seeing Jesus Christ. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm Kayla Padilla. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm Kayla Padilla. There are two more chances to catch TPR's Worth Repeating live event. Today we're talking to host Tori Poole and some of the storytellers that have been featured this season. And so in studio with us right now is Mark Smith, and his story was featured on the Elevated episode. And it was a really wild story, and it's about... (laughs) Mark, it's about the time you had an acid trip and saw Jesus Christ, or kind of you tried to see his face. Uh, you tried to see him. And so let's go ahead and hear Mark's experience uh, with Jesus Christ. I sit down and I see the roof of my house pulled off. And then I'm staring up into just this full night sky. I get to see stars everywhere. And I look around. My living room is starting to like change into what looks like a temple, like this earthen structure. Like I'm seeing carved columns and statues, and there's like vines hanging everywhere. And where my television used to be is now a hearth, this sacrificial fireplace. And I'm sitting in this temple, and I'm looking at the open sky. And at this, at certain doses of acid, it doesn't matter if your eyes are open or closed. I don't know if my eyes are open or closed. This is, this is what was going down. And as I'm looking around, the temple starts to change. The columns become like musculature, like a rib cage. And the vines start to become like blood vessels. And I realize I'm inside the chest of some larger being. And I'm seated right where the heart would be. And so I look up into the sky to see the face of this being that I'm inside of. And every time I turn my head up, 
this beam turns <laughs> his head up, and so I can only see the universe. And then I look down, and my chest has been splayed open, like I'm in open heart surgery, and I can see down into my chest, my ribs, my veins, my lungs, and where my heart is, I see who I recognize to be Jesus Christ, sitting with his legs crossed and his head down. So I can't see his face, I can just see the back of his head. And every time I look up to try to see the big being's face, God's face, he looks up, and so I can only see the universe. And every time I look down to try to catch Jesus' face, he looks down, <laughs> and I can only see the back of his head bowed in prayer and meditation. And it's like we're these divine Russian dolls. Like I see like this never-ending cascade of me inside God and God inside me and me inside God and God inside me, and it never ends. So, <laughs> so Mark, hearing that live, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, oh, wow. So your description right. of that is so vivid. How long ago was this? Uh, I narrowed it down to 2005. Through, okay. Um, <laughs> narrowed. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 2005. <laughs> so at the end of your story, you said something like, home is where the heart is. <laughs> and for you, it was. But Jesus. See, I, when I was trying to figure out how to tell this story, I told my wife, and she was like, you, got, you can't be that serious. Like, no one is like as much of a freaker as you and no one's gonna like realize that this is this really profound life-changing meaningful experience you had she's like no one's gonna get that you got to figure out how to make it more relatable to people who listen to tpr and i know some <laughs> of you guys out there do take acid but uh probably not most everybody and so she's like you got to figure out how to relate this to other people you know and so um i i did try to try to see the lighter side of it you mm -hmm. know and and the, hearing the other storytellers before me, hearing the audience, I did realize, okay, there's this isn't like a, like a, a grave moment here. I got to figure out how to bring people in. So I think I think it ended up coming out the right way. Because uh -huh. it was very emotional to start with, yeah. Well, I was gonna ask you about that, Tori. What was the experience like when Mark first told you the story? Um, when we first spoke on the phone, it was um. I mean, you, Mark got emotional. He got choked up and I got emotional in turn, you know, just thinking about this idea of a divine being inside of you. Um, that was compelling to me either way. I, I always think it's interesting to hear um, these kinds of stories. Uh, it's not the first time I've heard a crazy acid trip story. It was the first <laughs> time that God could be found, though, in one. So mm. I was really into that. But yeah, it was emotional at first, which, uh, uh, you know, how passionate... Passionate may not be the right word, but just uh, how important it was to him. I knew that I had to get him out in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark, was this your first time telling a story in front of a live audience? Uh, no, um, I'm a musician, mm -hmm. and um, and and so I've I, I consider music storytelling. So um, I, I did kind of have to. I, I tried not to be performing the story, but I also realized that storytelling is performance, and so yeah. um, they're just just different gradients of the same uh, of the same paint, I guess. Mm -hmm. So when you first had this experience, what it seems like you took some like real meaning from it, or were you just like, well, I did take. Acid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I consider that one of the most. Uh, I consider that the most. Um, profound LSD experience I've ever had. Mm -hmm. um, I consider it a, a profound moment of truth in my life where, um, you know, just through that particular experience, I was able to realize the truth of life. 
And um, it's definitely stuck with me. It's it's something that I can visually, it's as vivid as if it happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. I can still go back to that place and um, go back to that experience and go back to just the simple lesson that I was imparted at the end. And it's uh, for me, it's a source of like peace and strength and uh, I do think yeah. it's funny that you were, um, I just, it's funny, the, the group effort, like everybody being in the, you know, the seven of you together definitely influences each other. So the fact that you were like, ah, oh, everybody's like much lighter. I got to go lighter. <laughs> uh, you sort of self edit based off of your community that you're building. So that's kind of, that's interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, you, you want to bring people in yeah. and, and some stories you can hear and they will, I guess, uh, stick out and resonate, but, um. You know, I just wanted to make – you get a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, <laughs> yeah. as they say. I was actually so. in the audience for your story. Oh, oh really? And when – after you were done, I had never wanted to try drugs more. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if that was your intention. I was like, how do I find acid? <laughs> it's funny, illegal. We funny, wouldn't, funny, si- funny side story. The Beatles song, Dr. Robert, is about a, a dentist who would supply them with LSD. What? So. You know. Well, I didn't know. <laughs> I'll find a dentist. Well, <laughs> Tori, I had a question for you. So this will only be your second season of Worth Repeating, if I'm correct, right? Uh, or complete season? Complete season, yeah. 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 And so you've kind of changed it up a little from how it was before. What are some of the components that you brought to Worth Repeating? Um, I think that a lot of my background uh, is in performance, and so... Uh, previously the program was a journalist, uh, Paul Flav, and I'm more of a performance space. Um, I also taught a performance for a long time. And I think what I bring to it is just, uh, more of that, uh, element where I can find, uh, the thesis statement and ask for additional, uh, details. Um, and I, I try to be as supportive as possible. Um, it's more hands-on. I think, Paul used to have like a story. I mean, I have a storyboard, but they would uh, initially, you would talk to random people. Definitely you talk to me first, um, which is hard when I have over 40 submissions, but I try to touch base with everyone. Uh, I try to make sure that they're comfortable every step of the way. They have my number. Um, I will call them and bug them if I haven't heard from <laughs> them. Um, but yeah, I just think it's different because I come from a different love of storytelling and that is... Like I'm in love with movies. I like to get lost in in other people's stories. And so for me, I'm just really trying to make sure that we're connecting. Uh, so it might be a little bit more, I don't know, emotional or, or something, mm-hmm. but um, but a different a different approach. Paul had these things before. He had a workshop, but it was optional. Um, there was no rehearsal. Uh, I do make you feel comfortable because I'm asking them to do more than just tell something to an audience. Um, it's like, you have to be comfortable. And I, I, everybody always makes fun of me, but I'm like, touch the mic, make sure you can put it up and down. No, do it again. Say your first line. Mm -hmm. And I may seem a little bit more militant about that, (laughs) but it's just because I know that if, uh, if they don't know what they're doing up there, like with the physical elements, it just, it destroys their confidence. And yeah, so things Mm -hmm. like that. So Mm -hmm. he had the framework. I just made it more. He definitely created, um, the feeling of a community, um, even even just working out all the logistics, I guess, from your end, but you you made it feel like we were a, 
community of storytellers and that that kind of made it easier so you guys are that. you're doing you're sharing so much and i'm just so appreciative like this isn't a paid thing i sometimes i do get a thing like how much do we get if we tell a story and i'm like yo it's public radio <laughs> uh, we're all poor um but yeah no this is it's a very much experience and uh this is the first uh time that i've i'm just proud of every not to say I wasn't proud of every episode. I'm just putting my heart and soul into this season, especially, and making sure that everyone touches base with me, that everyone feels comfortable. And so it just keeps expanding. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so yesterday's uh, Worth Repeating was a little more emotional than usual, and the mm-hmm. theme was reset. Um, and so could you talk more about that? Because there was, you know, there were a couple stories about cancer and death from cancer Mm -hmm. and there was this one woman who shared a story about her son who a five-year-old son who passed away from uh, pediatric Mm -hmm. cancer so how is that different I guess it's just like this is such an important space for people to share these stories that they need to get out the theme uh, I knew this would happen with the theme when I wrote the theme I thought oh and then I would say I got I got such a heavy response there was over 20 submissions and everything was very heavy Um, But when I heard these stories, I knew they couldn't be passed up. And honestly, I heard from someone in the crowd that brought someone for the first time and she turned to them and said, these are usually much funnier. I'm so sorry (laughs) uh, after the third one. But I made sure that it's a roller coaster of emotion and we brought everyone and ended on a laugh. So, yeah. And just any final words for people who are scared to tell a story as coming from the host? Uh, in the words of my good friend Noah, I got you. If you want <laughs> to tell a story, I, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And this is such a great and supportive crowd. You will never find a more forgiving audience. I love my worth repeating, repeating audiences. You guys make everything I do just so meaningful. And thank you so much. And submit tpr.org backslash wr i want to see you aya hamza is a storyteller from the todd episode of worth repeating mark smith is a storyteller from the episode elevated and tori pool is tpr's director of events this has been the source on texas public radio thank you so much for listening this has been the source on texas public radio the source is hosted and produced by david martin davies kayla padilla is our booking and engagement producer Engineering support from Ruben Garcia, Jesse Reeves, and Steve Short. Dan Katz is TPR's Vice President of News. The Source is made possible with support from the Gladys and Ralph Lazarus Foundation.